You're listening to Vexed, a program on the Ephesus School Network. I'm Andrea Backus, your curator through biblical literature and its world and culture. Just as a museum curator selects, acquires, cares for, repairs objects, and discovers frauds and counterfeits, I'll be sifting through our world and culture for examples to help us better understand the biblical text. Before I get into the heart of today's episode, I want to issue a listener warning. This is a listener warning about assumptions. In today's episode... Expect to hear content that challenges your assumptions. We all have them, and often we don't know what they are until we've tripped on them, until we've misunderstood or misjudged someone or something. Today's content will challenge the way you normally think. So in order to better serve you, I'm asking you as the hearer, to listen to me in a particular way. The way that we normally listen is that we immediately and automatically hear what we agree or disagree with. The speaker is scarcely finished speaking and we are already lost in our own thoughts and judgments about what the speaker has said or more accurately, what we thought they said. We issue our judgments, interpretations, and applications at once, in an instant. And we do this without thinking about it. We don't have to make an effort to do this. This is the default way that we listen. I'm asking you instead to be intentional, to hear and allow what is said without judging it. Just take it in. Listen for what there is to learn. I will be offering you a point of view that may seem like a wild claim and is certain to rattle those whose understanding of God comes from theology or philosophy or even religion. Remember that we are dealing with a biblical story, which, if nothing else, is consistently a glaring critique of these things. Our religions, theologies, and philosophies are all expressions of ourselves. They are self-serving. The biblical school, erudites of their time, are critiquing these constructs. They are critiquing themselves. The Bible is not a tool for patting ourselves on the back, for our self-aggrandizement, but for putting us under the aegis, protection, mercy, and judgment of the God described in the Bible, the God that we meet in Genesis 1. 
This is the way that the Bible can be said to edify us. So let us begin. Today's question is, when we are in church, what is the function of the reading? What is its purpose? Why is it read? When I use the term the reading, what I am referring to is the passage or passages of the Bible that are read aloud to the congregation, to those gathered. In the Orthodox Church, selections from the epistles and the gospel books are read to us at every service. But this question is not limited to Orthodox Christians. It could be any so-called church where the Bible is considered a reference and read aloud to those gathered. This could be any Christian church or even Jewish synagogue. To repeat, the question I will address today is, what is the purpose of the reading? The reading makes God present among the gathered. When the priest, pastor, or rabbi read from the biblical text, God is there. And that is its sole function. You are there to receive, to hear, to learn him, but you are a secondary matter. You might be asking yourself, wait a second, isn't the reading for me? Aren't I there to try to understand the reading? Aren't I there to hear its teaching, as you have said before? Well, that's a fair question, and I would ask you to hold on to that question for the moment. My answer is no. The reading is not for you. And more than that, it doesn't matter if you understand it. The purpose of the reading is to make God present among the gathered. It is a royal decree, an expression that this is his gathering, and he rules over it. There is a model that can help us understand this, and it comes to us from ancient Rome. In ancient Rome, the Acta Diurna had a similar function. The Acta Diurna was a kind of government newspaper. Julius Caesar is credited with its founding around 59 BC. It was the voice of the Roman emperor as to the res publica, the affairs of the public. The emperor directed its content and its production. It was Rome's officially authorized narrative. Its contents included court news, decrees of the emperor, the senate and Roman magistrates. It also included notices about births, marriages, and deaths deemed noteworthy by the royal court. The Acta Diurna was read aloud in the Roman Forum, which was the marketplace and the center of social life. A physical copy was also posted there. Its distribution was not limited to the Roman Forum. It was heralded, if you will, across the Roman Empire. Scribes made copies, which were sent by courier to governors throughout the empire. The Acta Diurna, the document itself, contained within it instructions for its use. The words publicare et propagare, 
to make public and propagate were written at the end of each edition. With these three words, the emperor was read into being. When the Acta Diurna was read, the emperor was made present even to the far reaches of the empire, thousands of miles from Rome. For those who wish to read more about the Acta Diurna, you will have to search the original sources. The writings of the first century Roman authors, Pliny the Elder, Suetonius, and Tacitus. It is from their writings that we know about the Acta Diurna. No copies of the Acta Diurna have yet been found. You might compare the Acta Diurna to today's White House briefings, which are televised and broadcast across the country. Television, and how we understand it, is changing. With the advent of the internet and social media, there are many ways to broadcast content today. But in the past, when we only had television, White House briefings would usurp regularly scheduled programs, and all the TV networks would broadcast the president, who was poised to speak to the American public. The program you happen to be watching would be interrupted, and suddenly the Oval Office would appear. The president was to speak to the public. You remember the voice of the broadcaster. We interrupt this program for an important announcement. It was by this means that the president was made present in our living rooms. And even though the medium, the means of broadcasting, has changed, we are still called to attention to listen to the president's statements, just as the people of Rome would hear the emperor's statements via the Acta Diurna. So coming back to the Bible, when our priest reads from the Bible unto the congregation, God is present among the gathered. In church life, we hear the term preaching. We associate this word with the sermon that the priest gives after the reading. We might say that our priest has preached a nice sermon. But this is not correct. It is not the sermon that is preached. It is the biblical text that is being read that day that is preached, not the analyses or thoughts of the priest. The word preach comes from the Latin praedicare, which means to proclaim publicly, to announce. The word preach has a wider application than church life. Just as the biblical text is preached, so is the word of the president or the emperor. They are proclaimed publicly, made present to the public. What about the gathered, those hearing the words that are proclaimed? What is their role? The gathered have no role. They do not participate in the way that we speak about it today. There is no collaboration. In church, we, the gathered, the hearers, don't function since the purpose of the reading of God's words, the reading of the biblical text, is to make God present. It is an expression of His rule and command over the gathered. And whether you hear the reading or not, whether you understand it or not, and whether you agree or not, 
it does not matter. There is a scene from the 1995 movie Braveheart that demonstrates what I mean here. Braveheart is the story of William Wallace, a late 13th century Scottish warrior. The film depicts the life of Wallace as he leads the Scots in the First War of Scottish Independence against King Edward I of England. In this scene, Wallace is brought before a panel of English magistrates. It's no accident that they look like medieval bishops, dressed in red robes. At that time, and as it had been for millennia, there was no division between clergy and government. The clergy worked at the behest of the king and performed government functions. It's an interesting historical fact that it was under the reign of King Edward I, the English king depicted in the movie, that the magistrate's court, a new type of court, became official in 1285 AD. It was their charge to keep the king's peace. Coming back to the scene, in this scene, Wallace is standing in chains before the magistrates. He has been arrested and charged with treason. The presiding magistrate reminds Wallace of what really matters. Let's hear the scene. William Wallace, you stand in taint of high treason. Against whom? Against your king. Have you anything to say? Never in my whole life did I swear allegiance to him. It matters not. He is your king. It matters not. He is your king. That's the point. That's what I'm trying to explain here. In our case, it matters not whether you acknowledge or receive the reading. The reading is not read for you. It is the statement of the king, and that's what counts. And as the magistrate made plain to Wallace, your opinion or allegiance matters not. He is your king. So I repeat again the thesis of this episode. In church, the reading of the biblical text makes God present. He is read into being. He is not sitting in the pew with you. These fanciful philosophical notions have infected our mind. Remember that the Bible is literature. We have a text, we have words, and we hear them. We learn this God through our ears, through the hearing of the story, and the biblical text locks us into its reality. It does not allow its hearers to visualize, only to hear. This is something we are unused to today. The biblical God's ways are not our ways, and as we hear the biblical story, His ways are revealed. He cannot be seen. He speaks. He speaks through His prophets. He speaks His judgments and commands. He has no residence. There is no place you can go to find him, as you might go to Jupiter's temple to find him and offer your sacrifice and worship. He cannot be pinned down. 
He goes where he wants and chooses whomever he wants to do his bidding. When we gather in our churches, we gather in a kind of temple. The ancient systems haven't changed, but the content has. We may gather in a temple of stone, but our reference is not a statue of God. It is his instruction in the form of words in a text. Instead of a statue of Jupiter, it is the gospel book which sits on the altar in the center of the temple. And the words in that book declare that this God rules here. Let us consider this an invitation, an opportunity to question our assumptions. For the student of the Bible, who has also been reared in a religious tradition, there is much to unlearn. I leave you now not to meditate on these things, but to make the effort to sit down, study, and learn. Until next time, this is Vexed. Vexed is a production of the Ephesus School Network.